we, if Jesus, if Jesus tarries long enough, that day's coming for you and for me. We've seen enough changes in this country, haven't we? Not to believe that uh, that could be a reality for us. Christians of every generation and most countries of the world face persecution. And, uh, you know, we're not going to be exempt. But there is a reward for those who are faithful. There are many rewards for those who are faithful. And I pray that, that what we just experienced through music and through song, and as we join together, lifting our voices, that it would be more than just a song. That it would be more than just an emotional experience that we enjoyed this morning. But that that would be the reality in all of our lives. You see, it's not just when somebody puts a gun to your back or to your chest that you have to make a decision. It's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. What are you, are you going to lay in that bed tomorrow? Are you going to get up and spend time with the Lord? The devil's got a gun to your back saying, stay in the bed. When you're facing your boss or your fellow employee and they're telling you to compromise your faith in some way, and it's then, it's in every situation of life, will you be found faithful in those moments, not just when the gun is put to your chest? Will you be found faithful in every aspect of our lives? None of us are perfect. We're going to fall and fail. Peter denied Christ three times when that time came for him. But then Christ restored him, and he went on to be a sweeping, God used him in a sweeping way to lead many people to faith in Christ. What are you living for? What's your life all about? You know, we got two more weeks in this series this week, today and next Sunday, as we talk about gold. In other words, what is gold for you? We introduced this series by talking about God should be our gold. That is that we should desire Him above all things. We talked about souls, seeing people as real eternal souls, that we should be reaching them and seeking to love them and reach them for the love of Christ. That's, and we have, if we influence someone else to come to know Christ, that's gold. They will live forever with Him. We talked about the church of Jesus Christ, giving ourselves to His body, and his bride. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And, and this, the church, as much criticism is pointed at the church of Jesus Christ, we still are the body and bride of Christ Jesus. I will defend the church of Jesus Christ with my last breath, just like I would defend my own wife with my last breath. So when somebody criticizes the church, they're criticizing the bride and the body of Christ. When somebody refuses to serve the church or give to the church, they're refusing to give to that which Christ loves the most. The church. That's gold. Don't ever think the time you invest in the church of Jesus Christ is wasted. It's gold. And then we talk, we're talking about reward. Heaven and rewards. The last previous two weeks we talked about our rewards. That what we're, the, the way we're faithful here not just on Sunday mornings, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 
we're working for our rewards. And we, can, we will be rewarded based on our faithfulness. Or we will suffer loss based on our unfaithfulness. Well, to, today and next Sunday, I want to talk about heaven. Because heaven is a reward in itself. You know, think about... You know, when you talk about... Uh, if you ever talk to one of these young boys over here, <clears throat> I guarantee you, I, I know a few of them that, that like girls. Y'all like girls? And I bet you if they were, uh, if they were honest, they, they may have their eye on one particular girl. Right? Ain't none of them saying a word. <laughs> and if I were to ask Riley, Riley, uh, what girl you got your eye on? <laughs> and if he were bold enough to tell me, then I would ask him, Riley, what you think about that girl? Why do you like her so much? And I know Riley would say something like this. Uh, well, uh, well, she's, um, right, Riley? <laughs> Thank you for letting me pick on you. But you know, when God gave the assignment to the writers of Scripture, and they had to write about heaven. That's kind of how they were. Well, um, words just can't describe it. Words can't describe the feeling. Words can't describe the place. Words can't, human words, finite words cannot describe an infinite place. So that's what, that's my disclaimer this morning, is there's no way that I or any other human being can describe the grandeur and the glory and the beauty and the wonder of that place any more than Riley could describe why he likes that particular girl that I know he likes. I don't know who it is, but you know, I'm joking with you, Riley. No human being can describe heaven. We know very little about heaven. Theologian described it as an unknown region with a well-known inhabitant. And he wrote, Richard Baxter wrote this, My knowledge of that life is small, the eye of faith is dim, but it's enough that Christ knows all, and I shall be with him. So today and next Sunday, I just want to talk about three things about heaven. Today we're going to talk about one thing, next week we're going to talk about two. It's, heaven's a real place. It... It is a royal person, and there is a right path to get there. First of all, I want to ask you to turn to John chapter 14 as we talk about heaven as a real place. It's not some imaginary, ethereal, theoretical thing. It is a real, literal place. In fact, I uh, want to show you in how the Bible describes this place in seven ways. So we're going to move quickly here. But John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Listen, how many of you were able to attend the church security training yesterday? How many of you said, Well, my, my heart was a little troubled? You know, when you watch this video that, that 
and, and heard the song, we realize that we live in a wicked world, a world that hates Christians, that hates believers, that hates the church. And they're aiming at us. The devil, we are a target for Satan. And, and things are not getting better. We want them to, but they're not getting better. They're actually getting worse. And so Jesus tells his disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. You know, the phrase, don't be afraid or do not fear, and that in some form appears 365 times in the scripture. That's one time for every day of the week, every day of the year. So every day God says to you, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. And that's how Jesus introduces this this morning. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Yes, Jesus says, believe also in me. Now notice what he says. He points us to a higher level of looking. That's, that's, you know, when you look at this world, when you look at what's going on in this world, and you look horizontally, you will become depressed and discouraged. You will become fearful and afraid. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Start looking at who? You believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house. So immediately he points our eyes upward. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare what? A place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. One Sunday morning, the pastor read that using a modern translation. And his version read, in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. Immediately an elderly lady stood up and she said, Young man, I want you to read that scripture again from my Bible. She said, I've lived in an old run-down house for many, all my life, and I'm looking forward to that mansion. That mansion. In my father's house. That is the first reference to heaven. And in Jesus's, he calls it his father's house. So that's the first way heaven's referred to in Scripture, my father's house. While standing in a checkout line, a six-year-old named Cassandra began describing heaven to her mother. Cassandra talked about the golden streets, the jewels, the angels. And she said, God is preparing a place for us right now. The mom explained, oh, I, I know. And Cassandra said, he's building houses for all of us, but he's probably barely started on mine. And without taking a breath, she said, but your house is probably almost done. <laughs> now, for some of you, your house is almost done. And we don't know if that means an age. It may mean youth. Middle-aged or elderly? We never know. But let not your heart be troubled because there is a real place. And Jesus says, it's my Father's house. My Father's house. And in my Father's house are many mansions. It is a place where God is. He is the Father. He is the one who's provided it. He's the one helping prepare it with the, with the Son, Jesus. 
And it's a place of great provision, just as a father is to provide and protect. It is a place where God is going to take care of all of your needs. It is a real place. Secondly, and this appears 150 times in the New Testament, the kingdom of heaven. It's the second place. It's, it's referred to as a place of my father's house. It's referred to the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to notice several things about this thing. There are many things, and I don't have time to be exhaustive with this kingdom of heaven aspect, but if you did a, a search on it, you would find that Jesus refers to the kingdom of heaven 150 times. John 18, 36 is one of those places. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. The kingdom of heaven is not here. Listen, folks, this ain't heaven. This isn't heaven. Don't expect it to be. Somehow we live like we expect this to be heaven. All of our needs are going to be met. Everything's going to be perfect here. We're not going to have any problems here. Nothing bad is ever going to happen to us here. That's not the case. We live in a fallen and in a broken world. And we are a fallen and broken people. The kingdom of heaven is not of this world. It is otherworldly. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, he said, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, you, you can't leave here and go to heaven like you are now. Something has to change. And he says, here's what has to change. Here's the mystery. We will not all die but we will all be changed. Something's got to change. If flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, something's got to change. He said, what's going to happen? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, it could be today, it could be while you're sitting here, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible. That is the dead in Christ. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades or hell, where is your victory? See, the victory is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. This kingdom of heaven is not of this world. Flesh and blood cannot inherit it. Something will change, and that something is either when you die and go immediately to be with the Lord in heaven. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, or the rapture when Jesus Christ, which we just read about, comes down and takes us all. The dead are raised, and those who are left alive are taken up to be with him. It's referred to in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as well. The kingdom of heaven should be valued above all else. You see, we put so much value in this world and in this life. And I want to just, again, do some spiritual inventory here. How much of your thinking, how much of your money, how much of your energy, how much of your time, how much of your investment of everything that you are is for this world or for the next. You see, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told a parable, and it illustrated a grand truth. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for Joy over it, he buy, goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. 
who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Listen, is the kingdom of heaven worth that much to you? I mean, we just sang that we would, that it is. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength, with all I am. We even raised our hands and said that before the Lord. But let me ask you, how are you going to live that out tomorrow? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Is it really worth everything? Is it really of that great value to you? Are you really pouring your money, your time, your energy, your thinking into the kingdom of heaven? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And what will happen? All these things will be added unto you. But see, we seek all these things and hope somehow we're going to make it to the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't work that way. I think there'll be some surprises in heaven. There'll be some surprises, first of all, of who's there that you didn't think were going to be there. And there'll be some surprises as who's not there that you thought would be there. And there may be some surprises in hell. But you wake up there one day and wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, how did I get here? Jesus said, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 7, 21. It's not entered into through religion. Not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father. In Matthew chapter 18 and in verse 3, Jesus said, Unless you're converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You have to be saved. John 3, 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, You must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Listen, friends, Jesus compared the salvation, the, the new birth. He, he compared being saved in two ways. First of all, the new birth and then marriage. Okay, birth and marriage. Let me ask you something. What, is, what do those have in common? What those two things have in common is that there was a day and time when that happened. Just like you have a birthday and an anniversary. Right? If you're married, you've got an anniversary, and if you're here today, you've got a birthday, right? Every year you remember your birthday, and every year you better remember your anniversary. When was your spiritual birthday? You say, I don't remember the exact day or time. No, but was there a point in time in your life? I don't remember the exact date. But I can point back to a time in my life when I was six years old. And I was convicted of my sin. And I was, I was going to hell. You say, how can you be convicted of that when you're six years old? Because I had lived under the word of God for six years. Listen, when you get under the word of God, you begin to realize pretty quickly you don't measure up. And so you have to come to God for mercy. And I asked, told my dad, I said, Dad, I, I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to go to heaven. And there on the, at the corner of his bed, we knelt down and I invited Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I have a birthday. And that's also my anniversary of when I became a member of the bride of Christ. It's not entered into through religion. Jesus said, and we're going to talk more about this next week, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You can't get there through the church. 
You say, well, I thought you just said the church is the bride of Christ. Yes. When you come to Christ, you become a part of the bride of Christ. When you come to him by faith, when you accept him as your Savior, that you need a Savior who, uh, who, because you're a sinner, and you've accepted him, you've asked him to forgive you of your sin, then you become a part of the church, the bride of Christ. But by joining a church, by coming to church, by going through the rituals of a religion, I don't care what religion or denomination it is, it won't save you. Jesus, when he said that in Matthew 7, 21, he was talking to the Pharisees. He said, not everybody that calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. They were seeking to establish their own righteousness. So it's the kingdom of heaven. It's a real place. It's, it's the Father's house. It's the kingdom of heaven. And thirdly, Jesus called it paradise. Paradise. In Luke 23, 42, you know very well the story of the crucifixion. You know that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. You know that both of those thieves were at one point mocking Jesus Christ. And, and see, those two thieves represent everybody in this room. That at one point in our life, we were mockers, we were enemies of God, we blasphemed Him, we didn't believe in Him, we didn't think we were sinners. But there was a time in our lives where God intervened. We got under the Word of God. Somebody showed us the way, the truth, the life. Somebody talked to us about Jesus, and we began to see our sin, and we began to see Jesus for who He really is. And that's what happened to one of the thieves on the cross. He said to the other thief, he said, this man has done nothing wrong. He began to see who Jesus was. And he said to this other thief about themselves, he said, but we are getting what we deserve. He was admitting his sin and his guilt and that he deserved to die this kind of death. And then he addressed Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me when you enter your what? kingdom. And Jesus said to him, today, assuredly, verily, verily, as the old King James says, truly, truly, without a doubt, you, thief, who lived all your life apart from God, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, there have been some scholars, of which I don't claim to be one, who have said that is a different place than heaven, and heaven's a different place than the New Jerusalem, and all this stuff. You, you can dissect it however you want. I'm just giving you seven things this morning that the Bible calls heaven. And I don't care if there's a different heaven and paradise. You know, you know, you know where heaven is? <laughs> when Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, you know what he said before he said paradise? With me, hello. That's where heaven is. <laughs> I don't care what you call it. If it's Jesus there, that's where I'm going to be. And that was the important point. Today you'll be with me in paradise. But when you think about paradise, what do you think about? I mean, just paradise. Just, oh, I'm going to go to paradise. I'm going to the Bahamas. Paradise. Hawaii. Paradise. Or the Canadian Rockies. That's paradise. Or maybe in front of the Georgia football game. <laughs> or Florida State or Florida or Auburn or LSU. Tennessee. <laughs> they eked it out yesterday. Anyway. Maybe you think of all the way back to the Garden of Eden, paradise. But even that wasn't 
heaven. Because even there, even there, even the Garden of Eden had the presence of Satan and the option for sin. Had the presence of temptation and the freedom to choose evil. But not the paradise where I'm going. Not the paradise where every believer in Jesus is going. The Bible also refers to it in Hebrews chapter 3, heaven as a place of rest. In fact, he doesn't say place of rest, he just calls it rest. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16, he's comparing the Old Testament saints, the, the Israelites, and entering the promised land to us today, to believers today, entering the promised land. But he calls it not the promised land, he calls it rest. Now, and let's pick up with Hebrews 3.16. For who having heard rebelled? There we go. There we are. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? All of us have rebelled. Now, with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So what keeps you out of the promised land? What keeps you out of God's rest? Unbelief. If you're here this morning, you say, I don't believe a word you're saying, and I don't care if you're reading it from the Bible, I don't believe it. Well, if you die in that condition, you will not enter into his rest. You will go to a place of opposite of rest, where you will be in eternal torment the rest of your existence, which is forever. It won't be a place of rest. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with what? Faith in those who heard it. For we who have, been, for we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying, In David, today... After such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest, God, has himself also ceased from his work as God did from his even when God rested on the seventh day of creation. And as God instituted the Sabbath rest for Israel, he was pointing to that eternal rest for you and me, where we will rest from many things. We will rest from our weary toil here. doesn't mean we won't have jobs or serve in heaven, but we, it, will be, it will not be tiresome. It will not be laborious. We will rest from temptation. Never again will you be tempted by evil. Never again. 
You will rest from sin. You will never, ever commit sin. You will be perfected, and you will live perfect. You will rest from many other things. You will rest. It will be a time of eternal rest forever and ever. That doesn't mean you're going to sleep for eternity. It doesn't mean you're going to get to sit around in your lazy boy all eternity long. It means that whatever you're engaged in, be it worship, be it service, be it, Bible says, we will reign with him, be it ruling over certain things or certain areas of the kingdom of heaven, that it will be energizing. It will be non-tiring. You know what? I'm going to go home this afternoon, and I'm going to take my shoes off. I'm going to get in my comfy clothes, and I'm going to prop my feet up, and I'm probably going to lean my head back, and I may even close my eyes. And I don't really nap, but I need some rest. Y'all don't think so. Y'all think listening to preaching is tiring? <laughs> Y'all should try preaching sometime. Though. It's tired. I get tired. You ever get tired? I bet you go home tired today, too. Well, that preacher wore us out this morning. He went past 12 o'clock. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Let me give you another three real quick. He refers to our homeland in Hebrews 11. He refers to it as our homeland. He says in Hebrews eleven fourteen, the Bible says, For these who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. That video you just saw, that young man that was talking to his young son, he was not concerned about this life. He was seeking a homeland. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 that, that uh, talks about our citizenship is in heaven. And in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, the Bible says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. This is not your home. You're not home yet. You remember Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz? Remember when she would have those red heels on and she would click them together? And what would she say? That doesn't mean where you live today. That's not your home. It doesn't mean where you grew up or where you were born. Your homeland, if you're saved, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you're home. You're not home yet. You are a pilgrim over and over in Scripture. I would love to take you there, but you are passing through. You're a stranger. You're a pilgrim. You don't belong here. That's why you're weird to this world. That's why you're persecuted. That's why you're, that's why you're treated like you're, we're treated, a foreigner, because we are foreigners. We're aliens, the Bible says. This is not our home. We're just passing through. Our homeland is heaven. The Bible calls it our homeland. Hebrews 11, verse 15, also calls it the heavenly country. He says in Hebrews 11, and verse 15, And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It's a heavenly country. That is what I want you to understand is that heaven's a real place. And there's one more. You notice he mentioned it here in Hebrews eleven sixteen. He's prepared a city. 
He's prepared a city. He mentions it in the previous verses in verse 10. He's talking about Abraham. For Abraham waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And if you flip all the way to Revelation chapter 21, you can read about that city. And in fact, he says in verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. You think about all the pain in your life right now, all the disappointment, all the heartbreak, all the letdown, all the things that didn't work out for you, all the need in your life, all the former stuff will be wiped away. And he who sat on the throne said, who sits on the throne, by the way? Who sits on the throne? That's right. Behold, I make all things new. Then he begins to describe the city. He sees it in nine, verses 9 through 21. He begins to talk about the Verse 10, he said, He carried me away to a high mountain. He showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. She had great and high walls with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city. And the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs, about sixteen hundred miles square. Then he measured its wall, one hundred forty-four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The foundation was jasper, sapphire, chalcedony, emerald, sardonyx, sardius, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysophrase, lacent, or jacinth, and then amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. That's a big oyster. I don't think God used an oyster, though. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And the, I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The, the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine because the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. All the nations who are saved walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor to it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. No night there. That's the... What's being prepared for you who have given your heart to Jesus Christ? You see, heaven's a real place. If it weren't a real place, 
the Bible would not go to so much pains to talk about it in seven different ways. What he is saying is that all of these names that we have identified in Scripture, you can dissect them if you want to really be scholarly about it, but that's not the point of this message. The point of this message is for you to understand that God in Christ is preparing for you who are saved a real, literal place. And that your loved ones who, have, who were saved and who died, that's where they are. There's a real place that's being prepared for you. And so no matter what's going on down here, let not your heart be troubled. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. Listen, it's not going to get better down here. This is not heaven. It's going to get worse. I know that's bad news, but there's good news. That means it's just getting closer to the place where you belong. So live for where you're headed. Live for the gold of heaven, not the temporary trash, the wood, hay, and stubble of this world. Would you bow your head with me this morning?